So have you seen the videos where someone will go around and ask Americans like questions about American history? And they like, don't know. They never know the answer. They'll be like, yeah, but they'll ask like simple questions. Well, yeah, they'll be like, well, you know, like, well, like, like how many states are in? I've seen people be like, how many states are in America? And they're like, oh, at least a hundred. Yeah, like exactly. So, I feel like part of the reason is because we're not teaching history the right way. Okay. Because I was reading the other day about Andrew Jackson, the president, yep. and how he's rumored to have like fought in like a, over a hundred duels. Like, he would just duel people all the time. Wow. And I was like, I never learned that. Like, that's super interesting. So I, I, I decided to look into it further. True story. Andrew Jackson was, there, was the first president that was they att- someone attempted to assassinate. Okay? The first one that they the first one that guy. attempted to assassinate. Okay. Right. This guy comes up behind Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson's. This is a true story. Walking down, and I never learned this. And I feel like people would know history better if you taught this yeah. kind of stories. He's walking down the steps of like the Capitol building. A guy comes up behind him, pulls out a pistol fires well it misfires because it's like a it's like a humid day and you know like pistols by that pulls out a second pistol his back up <laughs> yeah fires misfires again at this point andrew jackson turns around because he obviously like someone's yeah and starts beating the guy with a cane nice, now here's where nice. it gets more interesting the story goes davy crockett had to step in and pull him <laughs> off the guy because apparently davy crockett was a u.s senator and like, i'm gonna be honest with you i'm there's a good part of me that thought davy crockett was a fictional character i just like and i'm like if we were teaching this stuff i feel like people would yeah. understand it's like a it's like game of thrones or something it's yeah. like remember that scene i'd always remember that mm-hmm. also like that's so much more relatable i can relate to somebody <laughs> you can relate, you can relate to that i can relate to somebody who beat someone mercilessly a dime every time davy crockett had to pull me pull me off of somebody like no it's just like you i know what i'm saying know. it makes these like i think like american history we have this way of like mysticizing like like these are like mythical characters mm-hmm. almost but like when we get to see them do stuff that's like very human yeah. like try to kill each other or duel 100 people like was andrew jackson like was he actually savvy and political or did he just kill all his enemies i think he, like i think he killed like a couple like a few people in duel it's just like an okay way to kill someone back then i love that like we act like that was such a better more civilized time but all <laughs> right. you had to do is like smack somebody with a glove and you could go shoot them in the backyard and yeah. it was completely legal yeah, so that's anyway. great all right cool well, well welcome to the uh back to basics podcast uh i am chris seitz i'm an emergency physician and i'm with my brother jason seitz a firefighter paramedic and rn and on this podcast we like to break down where sometimes complex medical topics and bring them back to the basics and make them easy to understand hopefully uh so that you walk away with a little piece of uh of new knowledge that you maybe didn't have before so quick note if you are a paramedic an emt uh first responder mfr EMTI is a bunch of them. EMR. <laughs> but if you're a pre-hospital provider, um, you can get a continuing education credit for listening to this podcast. So check it out at guardiancme.com. Uh, you can go there. I would stop listening to it right now and listen to it on there instead. So you don't have to listen to it twice. Take a quick quiz. You can get a credit. It's a CAPSI credit, so it'll work at any of your accrediting bodies. So check it out there. Cool. Awesome. So, well, what are we talking about today? Today, and I'm actually more excited that you're going into this one cold because I did the research for this one and I'll okay. be talking about it. So... Because we haven't touched on any of this in any of our previous podcasts. In fact, I don't think we've even talked about this side of medicine at all. We're going to talk about sight conditions. Okay. So I'm calling it mind trap. Mind trap. I like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so sight conditions. So here's what's tough is I think that we're going to need to come back to this topic maybe a few times. Sure. We're going to get kind of a, like a bird's eye view of sight conditions, talk about the general most common disorders that we see. Um 
But there's a couple like caveats. One is we're not going to get super heavy into like treatment of these conditions. I would like to come back and talk about the pharmacology that's involved in certain site conditions because there's like a lot of interesting stuff like and there's a lot of interesting stuff and in how that plays pre-hospitally and in the hospital and how that can relate to other site conditions because the medicines that they're on, you know, behavioral, you know, changing meds. Um, that's like a whole, that's a whole nother world. It'd be fun to talk about. Well, so, and all, the, all the dopamine, serotonin and like right. too much of this, too little of this. Like it is. Yeah. It's very well, and tricyclic antidepressants and the, and the overdosing of that, that you can see very easily. So there's like a lot of like fun stuff to talk about within, I don't know if that's fun, <laughs> that's super fun. <laughs> but for me, interesting stuff to talk about within just the medicine side of that. Uh, but first we kind of have to understand the condition. So I think this isn't a part one per se, but I think that we'll be coming back this year or next year to to talk about uh, probably early next year to talk about meds cool. used in psychology, psychiatric stuff. I like it. Cool. Another caveat I think we have to throw in here is that these are ever changing terms and definitions in some ways. Like a lot of research comes out. I mean, it's mental health. Like we're learning in in the most recent future, like the last few years, even so much more around mental health. So especially in psychiatry, we define certain conditions which sometimes does us a disservice. Like we have to define them in order to like understand them well and be able to like develop treatments. And, and, but we do sometimes try to like, when we define something, we put it in a box. And I think as most people know nowadays, like you can't really put mental health in a definable box. So as we define, I guess the caveat here is that as we define these things and talk about them, we're, we're basing this off of references and things like that. If you, if you, if it seems a little bit off or like maybe you've heard something different like that, that's fine. I mean, like, like we're not trying to say like this is the end all be all definition of bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. I mean, like we're going to try to describe the boxes that have been presented to healthcare thus far, but recognize that like these don't necessarily always fit in a box. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. I think like the audience will see it as we're going through these. So many of these are tied to each other in, in weird ways. So like it's hard to be like that is a psychotic disorder or that is a mood disorder or that is a behavioral disorder because like a lot of those you'll see the other symptoms kind of popping up in it. As an example, like schizoaffective disorder is a form of schizophrenia, but it also has a lot of mood disorder symptomology like kind of mixed in there it's considered less severe than schizophrenia would be but more severe severe than most mood disorders would be so it's like this kind of odd and you have to understand like as mental health providers like find particular situations like they have to define that too and every every patient is different every mind is different and there can be a lot of you know it, it's not as simple as you know if there's a blood clot here we call it this you know what i mean it's it's such a sensitive misunderstood part of our body that like we're really like cutting edge on, on some of this stuff, which is cool. So let, let's get into it. So first let's start talking about, um, psychotic versus, uh, cognitive versus behavioral. So psychotic, a, a psychotic condition is something that causes abnormal thinking or perceptions. And namely the two examples of that would be delusions and hallucinations. So delusions would be, well, give me, give me an example of a delusion. Well, a delusion is a delusion is essentially like in your mind, like how, how is a perception, like you're mm -hmm. perceiving a situation a certain way, or you think you're somewhere that you're not. A hallucination is actually seeing, like 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 visually seeing or hearing, like audible, like yeah. There's like a sensory application when right. it comes to 
hallucinations, like uh, delusions. I might think something about something that is not based in fact. I might think that that movie star is in love with me. A hallucination is like I see a movie star that's not there over there. Right. You know, so that's that's those are kind of the most serious psychiatric conditions are usually psychotic conditions. All right. So. Well, as we just kind of jump it through a few of these, one thing I want to talk about is cognitive disorders. So two cognitive disorders that we see the most are delirium and dementia. So delirium is widespread disorganized thought, and it's relatively rapid onset. And it's reversible. It's very, it's yeah, reversible. it can be reversible, right? Which is great. Dementia, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Dementia is, it's kind of, it's complex. There, there's a myriad of symptoms with dementia, but it's basically like, um, a gradual memory impairment, like it, it's a breakdown of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cognitive disorders, delirium and dementia are usually caused by like brain injury or disease. So a little bit more of like a tangible damage to the brain tissue, right? So in dementia, we'll see memory impairment, we'll see impaired judgment, we'll see uh, difficulties thinking abstractly. Um, we'll see a couple symptoms sometimes, like sometimes it's paired with aphasia, which would be like I have trouble uh, speaking or, or like my verbal explanation doesn't make any sense. Um, apraxia would be motor fun- motor dysfunction without the loss of sensory dysfunction, right? So like in a neurovascular disease, when like my neurons are damaged, I can't. Right. In this case, like you can, but you don't, if that makes any sense. So I'm having trouble grasping something, even though I can feel it in a neurovascular breakdown. You're having trouble grasping something because you have sensory dysfunction. Right. Um, Agnosia is the same thing. It's the recognition of objects. It's like struggling to recognize objects, even though you can see and perceive those objects. Um, and then executive functioning issues a lot of times, planning, organizing, sequency. This is where we see, you know, uh, in our elderly population a lot of times that develop dementia, um, difficulty like with those judgment calls and with doing kind of those advanced, more complex uh, well, thought like processes. Also, and that, well, examples of that is the difficulty balancing a checkbook or difficulty like remembering like phone numbers and things that, you know what I mean, that, that kind of executive like just the executive function. And typically like, again, del- the the big defining things between delirium dementia is what you kind of said that rapid onset in delirium versus the slow onset in dementia the reversibility of delirium in a lot of cases and dementia is you know not so it's like you know you you don't wake up one morning you're like oh my gosh that guy had dementia today like he he developed dementia today like that that doesn't happen right it may not be recognized for a time because it can be easily hidden yeah and then so when it comes to dementia, one of the main causes of dementia, the most common cause of dementia, would be Alzheimer's disease, right? But things, other things can cause dementia, right? It could be injury. It could be traumatic injury. So there's Alzheimer's disease as a disease process that can lead to dementia symptoms, but they're not mutually exclusive. Well, and then there's like there's neurovascular dementia where you have like so many mini strokes and things like that where you have like ischemic in multiple ischemic injuries to the brain which then leads to dementia it's not reversible right. you know, i mean that kind of thing so yeah and that's why i kind of wanted to start with cognitive disorders because i think they're a little bit more tangible with the other topics that we talk about like medical topics injuries mm-hmm. you know um internal injuries things like that like we can understand that a little bit better then we start getting a little bit more confusing as we get into things like mood disorders so mood disorders um, are obviously disorders that are affecting your mood a lot of them are caused by a suppression or an overproduction of certain mood stabilizing chemicals in your body, right? Um, for instance, dopamine, serotonin, yeah, dopamine, serotonin, things really like that. Really, what's interesting, this is why it'll be interesting to do another podcast on the actual like chemical, because like all of these, I mean, not not the cognitive, but like 
even like the psychotic disorders, the mood disorders, like they all have to do with just like three chemicals. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. It's so. crazy. Um, well, we shouldn't say it's crazy. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah. It's probably oh, stay away from that word in this podcast. All right. Fair enough. Turn of phrase is what we're Turn, referring yeah, to. There you go. Um, so mood disorders, main one that we think of is depression, right? Um, depression affects many people. In fact, whoever's listening to this has probably experienced an acute depression in their life before. Like that, that can be very common, you know, feelings of sadness. Um, but major depressive disorder is a little bit different. It, it usually you need to have five symptoms in a two week period of time consistently. And again, like Chris said, it has to have an interruption in, in your life cycle in, in, in some way. Right. So um, some examples, uh, you no longer have interest in your old hobbies. You're thinking about death and suicide. Um, I don't know. Give me some more. Um, like sleep. Like there, yeah. A sleep, sleep component in a lot of things. Yeah. Like where you can't, you can't sleep. Anxiety. Under this, I talk about suicide a little bit in, in my lectures when I, when I discuss mood disorders. So like suicide, <laughs> it always bothers me when people are like, and then what, another mood disorder, suicide. And it's like suicide's like an act. It's not really right. like a disorder. So we're talking about like suicidal ideations or thoughts of suicide, you know, um, intrusive thoughts about suicide. Like that is a, a very serious symptom that can sometimes almost be breaking down broken down into its own condition. It usually is connected to major depressive disorder, but it is very important to recognize that symptom and address it very quickly. So like we don't like... You're, you're never going to give someone the idea of suicide, right? Like people know what suicide is. So like if someone who's super depressed, if you ask them outright, hey, are you thinking about killing yourself? They're not going to be like, never thought of that before. And then like run and jump off a bridge or something right, like that. But right? now like, I am. Right. right. So it is very important. Like we have found so much in mental health, like asking that question has changed so many lives and saved so many lives. Just asking the question are you having thoughts about killing yourself or like, have you, have you had a plan and being able to have those discussions, they can be uncomfortable maybe, but having those discussions with people and, really changes lives. Like, and typically when you're, when you're suffering from a mood disorder or even like, I mean, the cognitive one's a little bit different, but a mood disorder, psychotic disorder, you be like, I mean, I do this all the time in the emergency department where like you, you can ask those questions. There's no taboo to that person. This is what they right. live. So of course they're, they're like, yeah, I do have those things. And yeah, yeah, I do see yeah. people over there. Like they, 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 they they're not trying to hide it most of the right. time. I mean, they're being very honest and open. Like they, they want the help too if they, you know, so. And we'll talk about this a little bit in treatment, but it's so funny to me. If like, if you think, if you parallel this to like, if you have symptoms and you have a really bad sore throat and you come into the, the doctor's office and you say, my throat is killing me. It's really, it's giving me anxiety. It's frustrating me. And they're like, oh, you have strep throat. That's normal. It's normal in strep throat. To have those symptoms. Yeah. You feel a lot better about it. And hey, you know what? We're on a path to recovery for it, right? In the same way with psychological conditions, I can't tell you how many times I sat in the back of an ambulance with someone and was like, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Or like, do you have like intrusive thoughts? Or do you like see somebody over there or anything like that? Have you, are you hearing voices? Like just asking these direct questions and then being like, yeah. And, and looking panicked and me being like, that's okay. Well, that's normal. Obviously it's not normal in a healthy individual, but that's normal for, for your condition yeah. right now. And them hearing that information oh my gosh, it just changes your whole, you build this rapport with the patient, it changes your whole outlook on that and their whole outlook on it. It's so important for them to know like, this is a normal thing to be experiencing in this condition. It's treatable, we can, we can get it handled for you. And in the same token there, like you go into the, like, the emergency department because you think you have strep throat and your throat hurts really bad and like you also have, you know, let's say a fever. And I'm like, have you been feeling feverish? And you're like, 
No. Like you're not trying you're <laughs> yeah. trying to hide. You're gonna say yes. I mean, it's like right. clearly like part of the you, you came in that that's why you're there. Well, like, and also you're not gonna avoid the topic of fever with that strep throat because it could like scare me or like set me off or something. Like that right. doesn't make any sense, right? So I really think it's important to like be communicating with these patients and be honest with them and reassuring them that like, hey, it's totally okay that you're seeing somebody right now or you're hearing somebody. Like they're not there, and that's it's okay that you're hearing that, right? Yeah. So bipolar disorder is another mood disorder, right? Bipolar, you can think bi meaning two polar, polar opposites, like two sides of the same coin kind of thing, right? And this is where I think we can all relate a little bit to like bipolar disorder in the sense that like manic episodes, at least I can relate to manic episodes. Like I have a tendency to get manic and excited about things, not to the point where it's interrupting my life or it's a condition, but you can see how this is a function of our mind that can't have dysfunction within it and, and go too far. And right? everything ebbs and flows, right? So on the other side of depression is mania, right? Mm-hmm. These are the extremes. The two and polar of course, sides. This especially from a spectrum standpoint, like we all on a daily basis ride that wave of like being a little bit down, being excited. Like that's not mania or depression, right? That's mm-hmm. just living. That's just being a human being. Mania though, again, become is when it becomes disruptive. Mm-hmm. And typically what the why the way we diagnose like manic you know, is that all of a sudden they're these people are engaging in very risky behaviors. Maybe they're gambling. Like a lot of the ones are like they start like gambling away all their money, or just spending all their money, or they are getting, doing very like risky sexual things. Like they're just like they're putting themselves is, at risk. Yeah, and, you know? and this is where you can see these conditions playing into each other. Delirium can very quickly play into a bipolar mania because now I ha- I'm gambling all my money because I'm having delusions of grandeur that I'm the chosen one and I'm going to be able to make that money and everything's going to be fine, right? So like, mania is basically like manic behavior is basically the opposite of depression, very uppity to behavior. Bipolar disorder can be just mania on its own, or it can be like manic episodes followed by depressive episodes like intermittently, right? So it doesn't have to be both. Uh, So moving on from mood disorders, we can talk about schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is like, it's a the big obvious one that we think of when we think of psychiatric disorders, it's actually very common. Uh, schizophrenia happens in about 1% of the population, which is um, interesting to me. You yeah. know, you, you, we think of it as this like rare thing, but no, it's, it's very common. Schizophrenia represents basically a significant change in behavior. And usually we have hallucinations, delusions, and depression with it. So, and then, and then suicidal ideation can come with that as well. A lot of times with schizophrenia. Correct. Yep. So there are a bunch of different forms of schizophrenia that it's worth kind of just covering real quick. So I'll I'll probably miss some of these. I I didn't list all of them, but there's like a paranoid schizophrenic is um, someone who has like this feeling of persecution. Right. So this it's not in reality, but they have this feeling that like everyone's out to get them or um, someone is hurting them or someone wants to hurt them. Right. A disorganized schizophrenic would be like this one's interesting it's like regressive and primitive. So like basically like um, a lot of like higher behavioral functioning is like suppressed to the point where they're so disorganized and thinking that they'll like act like a primitive person. Um, Really like regressive behavior, meaning like not relying on like higher order thinking processes. Um, Catatonic would be, you know, this is like the most rare type of schizophrenia, but catatonic would be like you zone, like you go into a, uh, catatonic state right you just yeah. kind of like zone out flat affect you know not responding to the environment around you um undifferentiated would be like the the schizophrenia where it's like you don't really quite fit the other ones right <laughs> so we always have something like that as i mentioned earlier schizoaffective disorder this is like 
uh, a, a subset of schizophrenia that plays highly into mood disorders with it, uh, that we'll see a lot of depression like tied into that. Um, it is considered a more serious mood disorder, but a less serious schizophrenia, so it kind of plays into that. And then there's residual schizophrenia, which would be like um, an, an acute... You had an acute episode of schizophrenia where, where you had psychotic symptoms, and now you still have some symptoms of schizophrenia without the psychotic symptoms. So, like, maybe you had an ep- a schizophrenic episode, uh, you were seeing hallucinations and delusions, and then, like, now in between that, like, you're struggling with some depression, but you're not having any psychotic, sensory. yeah, sensory changes. Awesome. So the next kind of, like, category, 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 why do you... It's category. category. I don't know why you ever wow. say category. I don't know. I category just sounds like an Australian how to say that word right there. animal. Like, oh, well, that's a category. <laughs> category. All right. Anyway, the next category of uh, psychiatric disorders would be impulse control disorders. It's kind of in the name. So these are the things like kleptomania, right? Like people who cannot help but steal things. Pyromania, people who cannot help but set things on fire. Yes. Like, there's just like any, like, they, 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 and they literally cannot, like, withstand, like, they they can't not do it. You and we I mean? see this, this can be developed through actions. You know what I mean? That's what's... Well, what's interesting about this is that th- if you think about, and this is impulse control, I mean, like, we haven't defined this yet. I would not be surprised if maybe we do in the future social media. Like, they've oh, done the yeah. research. There is a, every time you swipe, every time you get a like, it's a dopamine dump. Mm-hmm. And that's what all this stuff comes down to. It's dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. So if in an impulse control, like kleptomania, you steal things because you get that dopamine high every time you do it. Same with pyromania. Let's set things on fire because you get, we don't see kleptomania and pyromania as much anymore. But I wonder why, right? Because where are we getting our dope, our, our easy yeah. dopamine dump? I mean, think about how many times you get on social media and just scroll, 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 yeah, scroll, yeah. scroll, scroll. And you just literally like almost can't help it. Like that's. Do you have TikTok? What's that? Do you have TikTok? No, I don't. TikTok has this thing where if you, it'll like actually tell you like, hey, you've been scrolling for a little bit too long. Yeah, that's good. I hit that thing all the time. Right. And Natalie is like so judgmental about it. But again, like you said, like these behaviors can like build into an impulse control issue because again, it's our, it's our brain becoming addicted to the dopamine dumps a lot of times. So that's gambling, even alcoholism in some ways is an impulse control disorder in Mm -hmm. its own way. So, and that's, what's interesting is that like. It's not so if you enjoy TikTok and you're getting dopamine <laughs> dumps and like that's fine. You don't necessarily have an impulse control disorder if you are unable to stop. Like that's the whole like joke we hear about the whole like, oh, I can stop whenever I want to, but they can't. Right. That's right. when it becomes an impulse control disorder. Like you are not yeah. able to tell your say no to the dopamine. And it starts to disrupt your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm scrolling through TikTok so much that I don't go to work and lose my job right. or I lose my marriage because you I mean like this is what happens with like pyromania, kleptomania. Like you're, you're like, well, I would, I would argue that they're always disrupted because those are well, that, illegal things, right? They're, they're things yeah. that you are not allowed to do. Right. So the minute you jump into that impulse the first time, it's illegal. That's an impulse control. Like you should have right. been able to control yourself to not set fire. To and that's that. what I'm saying. Like they're just, they're, they're causing harm, yeah. right? There, there's, there's, there's that extra, right, like, right. like even like drinking alcohol on a regular basis is not necessarily causing harm when it starts to cause harm. Now it's alcoholism, yeah. right? I mean like this is like where we have to like, that's why we define these things in this way. Yeah. So um, the next ones are dissociative disorders, which are very interesting. Yeah. There. So these are like, the super rare ones, but that you're going to see on like TV all the time. Right. right? So dissociative disorders, it's like the basic definition of a dissociative disorder is that you're avoiding stress while gratifying needs still. Right. So you dissociate from your core personality and your brain just kind of does it. 
Yeah, from you from great stress yeah, and usually right. yeah, it's not like it's, it's not like don't, don't like worry all these people that they're gonna wake up with two personalities That's true. because That's true. they are extremely rare. All of them are extremely rare, especially personality uh, multiple personality disorder, which I would say is like the most famous because of like TV and like also going on a tangent here, like it upsets me how much we use especially dissociative disorders, but any psychiatric disorder as a plot point in a horror movie. Like, I don't know why we haven't gotten away from that. Yeah, that's a good point. It is absolutely astonishing to me that we haven't, like, as a society, recognized it like that's not okay. There was something I saw recently. so much emphasis on mental health, and then all of our horror movies have, like... There was something I saw recently where I was talking to our sister Kendra about it, and she was like, how did you like the movie? And I was like, I'm just kind of discouraged that they had to use that as a plot point. I can't remember what it was. Hmm. But, yeah, there's so many, like, like, big famous movies that are like, oh, that twist at the end, like, he had 18 personalities. And it's like, there's people that, like, actually struggle with this stuff. like, and, And defining, like... Just because someone has a disorder that makes them the scary monster in the movie is like really it has yeah. always bothered me. It's a good point. Um, but we we tend to fear what we don't understand, and I think that's where that kind of stems from. But sure. that's why we need to understand it better. So anyway, long story short, uh, dissociative disorders. You're avoiding stress. You're still gratifying needs. Couple examples: psychogenic amnesia. That would be like you don't remember something because it was a traumatic event, and your consciousness has buried it. Okay, so yeah. re- real thing, like it's not just a movie thing. Like you have buried that, and that happens. You know, I mean, like childhood traumas and things that people yeah. like literally don't remember because right. it's almost like a protective mechanism. Yeah, and all, there's a lot of therapy that involves you know trying to re-remember that in order to like pull it back to the forefront, deal with it, and then and then be better for it. Um, a fugue state. This is the one that I think it's is like you just run away. Yeah, no, these people like will all of a sudden like Hundreds dissociate, and then they'll just like leave town, and they'll go like function fine they're like oh like live a life for like a month or so and then like, you hear these stories well, they have like a sudden, second family or something like that like the people that have like a second family in like asia all of a sudden it's because they like a lot of times well it's like feud state. i guess that's just an excuse <laughs> multiple family anyone who has multiple families you obviously have a dissociative yeah, disorder is basically I what that, i just said there and i would like to redact that from the okay record. perfect yeah but no, like people, sometimes people are like, I can't handle this anymore. And then they just sort of like decide to forget and they move off. There was a story recently where like this woman went missing and they, they couldn't, they couldn't find mom. Like they don't know what happened to her. Not like an older lady. Like she's like in her forties or fifties. And then her all name sudden, was like, mom or she had children. She had children. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, her name was not mom, <laughs> but they couldn't find her. Right. She had children. She was like in her forties, fifties. She was gone for like a month and they found her in Arizona. And she's like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I don't remember why I came here, but she had been like living fine. And she's like got yeah. a hotel and was just like wow. living her life and. But obviously interrupting your life because yeah, where's mom? Because where's mom? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. I also, I think like, you know, your, your comment about the multiple families, I think like, it's like, it's like, like fugue state is very, is much more like more, more diagnosed than the other ones. Yeah. Because for some reason, when men get caught with a second family, they have a fugue they state. Go, they go. <laughs> I was about to say like, it, to me, I, I know this is terrible, like tied oh, humor shoot, into it. I don't remember any of that. But that whole like narrative of like, he went to get the milk and he never came mm-hmm. back. Kind of thing. Like, right, yeah. Oh. Fugue state. Fugue state. Super stressful, dissociates the personality. Yeah. So, um, Depersonalization is when a patient experiences a loss of sense of oneself. This happens a lot of times in youth. All of a sudden they like wake up and they feel different. And they don't know why they can't put their finger on it. And that can cause all kinds of issues sure. you know, move, yeah. moving from there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, very common in youth. 
it is a dissociative disorder usually caused by, you know, a, a stressful event. Again, this is avoiding stress while still gratifying your needs. So it's a way that the mind protects itself. Um, but usually it's like a, some sort of childhood trauma and then they experience all of a sudden they feel like they, they're missing a part of themselves. Mm. Um, all right. Now, moving on from there, personality disorders, uh, distorted personality development. And These ones are hard. Yeah, I know. These that's why I just hard. have like a list of them. So like some examples, paranoid, antisocial, narcissistic, avoidant, obsessive compulsive disorder. Like this is all uh, like your personality development was disordered usually when you're growing up. And because of that, you are experiencing like atypical social skills a lot of times. And this, the reason this is difficult is because society especially – I mean I think like like when these were defined – it was like here's normal behavior and here's abnormal behavior and like you may not be seeing these or doing things but like you're not acting normal and like nowadays we're much for better or for worse I don't know but like we're more tolerant of people not being quote unquote normal like we don't like to define normal as like because you can be everybody can be different right the problem is is that like, there are some certain things like like if you're being a jerk all the time and disrupting my life because you're like I feel like maybe you might have a personality well, i mean like it's like you know it's, it's it's a difficult topic because of that you we know? are at a weird place in society right now where it's like we're accepting of different which is good but there is like a line that we have to draw at some point where like if you can't function in society as society is for better or for worse like that is a, a that's a dysfunction mm-hmm. so like it may not that's be a mental health issue right I mean, and it may not be like wrong like, we're not saying it's wrong like, like, but, but currently in society like society today could be wrong but if you're not functioning well in society today that is that is a disruption like that's a disruption yeah. to you as a person so like now i'm not saying that you need, we're not saying that you need to like go get treated for that necessarily but you again you kind of have to i would kind of argue that yeah i think sometimes it depends and if you feel like it's disrupting your life you enough, do i guess like and that's what's so weird is i feel kind of like culture can define what sicknesses yeah absolutely in a, in a way, right you know? especially in the mental health space which yeah. is very interesting so yeah i don't know also like be careful with using some of these terms like you can say someone's narcissistic don't call someone a narcissist necessarily they might not be yeah like it might, just be it might be like a diagnosable condition so i don't know it's so weird like psychology is so hard with yeah. that you know what i mean yeah. like you want to have like the intuition and understand people's behavior in general but you don't want to put everybody in a box like we talked about earlier. right so all right uh Last thing that we want to talk about is just kind of a quick overview of like treatment. And again, we're not going to talk about individual meds. We're not really even going to talk about like types of treatment, like behavioral therapy or cognitive therapy or anything like that. What we're going to talk about is kind of general things that you should do when you're interacting with or patients. The affective treatments of yeah. like when you're dealing with a acute episode of psychi- psychiatric disorder or just generally engaging with these people as a healthcare provider type of thing. Yeah, exactly. So a couple things, safety, obviously priority you and your patients, right? So, um, never leave a suicide patient alone. Um, consider if, if a patient is a danger to themselves or others, then you do have to consider restraints. You will have different protocols or standards of care involving restraints. So mm-hmm. depending on like, I, I'll tell you, it was a challenge for me moving from like paramedicine where I had a lot of freedom of restraints within my protocols to like nursing where we're not allowed to restrain at all at my current hospital. Like we have to allow security staff to do that. Um, even if it's like ordered restraint, that was tough for me. Like I felt like a tool in my tool belt was taken away to protect myself. You know what I mean? So those can be it's things hard, to yeah. wrestle with, right? Well, that's um, one thing in the ER with restraints 
Because like then like for in, in like in the emergency department, it's like chemical restraint versus like physical restraint. And like sometimes chemical restraint is safer because if someone's really fighting against physical restraints, they can hurt themselves. I always erred on the side of that like I can always put restraints back on. You know what I mean? Like and like the security staff didn't love that because they had to keep. But like again, as as soon as someone was calm enough or like like agreeable enough, I would try to take them out of the physical restraints. Because again, it's it's sometimes easy just to like follow that protocol and be like, Oh, nope, you're in here now for three hours. We'll reassess then. It's like, well, no, I mean, these, you know I mean? These are human, but, um, obviously you can't do that with chemical restraints. Yeah. You just well, keep reversing. So that was what was interesting too is the medication and- in my, where, where I practice paramedicine, like I, we had chemical restraint, like we could pretty liberally use chemical restraints if we needed to, like we, they just, we needed to kind of prove that they posed a certain amount of threat and like, you know, we could like snow people. Um, but there's like a lot of places that's like, how did you ever have those protocols? Well, and it's I mean? hard too, because again, like, like if you're trying to protect yourself and others, that would be the reason that you need to, but at the same time, as soon as you chemically restrain someone or like, give, you know, basically what we're saying is give them a medication to like make them not as aggressive. Now so I can't can, assess them either. Right. I can't, I can't diagnose anything or assess or see how they're doing or if they're improving until that medicine wears off. So it can really delay their treatment in the long run. Obviously though, like if someone's going to hurt somebody, you gotta be you know, yeah. careful. So. So yeah, um, restraints are something that you got to consider. Physical, chemical restraints. Um, it is worth talking about uh, de-escalation and rapport building because that's going to help you in any of those situations. Mm-hmm. And we're not just talking about combative patients. So like de-escalation and rapport building is important when you're treating someone who is not a threat to you or others. Um, you know, de-escalating their um, their perception of their issue is really important, right? Oh my gosh. Well, like, like we talked earlier, like it, I, when I have the flu, I want to know it's, or when I have strep throat, I want to know it's okay to have a sore throat. So like, Hey, yeah. if you have a dissociative disorder, you want to know that it's okay to have these symptoms. Like that's normal with, within that yeah. symptomology and, and we can take care of those things. The so worst thing you can do effect. is get upset. As soon as you start getting upset, they're going to get more upset. Like, especially in an acute episode. Like one thing I never understood in the hospital is when like, uh, now if they're suicidal, you need to protect them. Right. But when like a mental health patient would get up and like take off and try to like get out, I never really understood why like hospital staff would like try to tackle the person. Like chase them. Yeah. It's like, like it's like not going to get out. Like so. let them go. I mean, you can call the police and get them later. Like, 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 but I just never understood. Yeah. I would get out of the way. I would just move out of the way. They're like, why didn't you right. grab him? I'm like, well, I'm going to grab that guy. He clearly wants to leave. I don't know. It's just yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, again, I think you but have again, to. It's funny. You're you're talking so ER right now. And I, like I had to, when I was doing the research, I had to like think way more nurse than yeah, paramedic yeah. because like you're thinking of psych patients as combative patients or people trying to run off and stuff right. like that. Like if you're just talking about someone like with depression, like there's still de-escalation in that. And oh, yeah, there's yeah. still, you know, or, or like suicidal thoughts. Like there, there might be a harm to themselves that they're considering. So like we can de-escalate that well, by to talking very, to them about the issues. I used to have very real conversation. I mean, we obviously have people who had suicidal ideations and, and come into the emergency department all the time. That's, mm-hmm. that's their entry to care a lot of times. Like they, they needed to, and I would have conversations all the time, like very real conversations. Like, like, do you think you'll hurt yourself? Like, do, do I need, like, do we need to, do we, you know what I mean? Like me and you need to take steps to make sure you're right. You'd be amazed at how like honest and open and like, so they, right. as long as you're caring for them in that same way, you'd care for someone who has chest pain or someone who has right. the same thing. So, yeah. So I think no matter the condition, like rapport building is just so important to kind of debunk and demystify some of the the surrounding you know weirdness that people have mm-hmm. towards these conditions you know they're medical conditions like right. we're we're medical providers we need to treat them so right. you know develop a relationship with them so that you can be a team with your patient and, and treat their condition um 
couple things, medical conditions, like true medical conditions in the sense that like things going on with their body, you know, things that we can, um, we can like recognize pathophysiology in like, be careful not to ignore those, what we would consider to be medical problems in a psychological assessment. Right. So again, like I, I hope the audience understands, like when we say medical issue versus psychiatric issue, we are not playing down either of those issues or saying that like psychiatric medicine isn't medicine or anything like that, but there are things that are happening in the brain versus things that are happening uh, to the body that might cause those issues, right? Mm-hmm. So if I have someone who's experiencing hallucinations and delusions because they drink a bunch of alcohol and they're like have alcohol poisoning now, like I need to be able to recognize that underlying cause of a medical condition be- and then therefore those psychological symptoms. And, and that's where of- it's so important. Like recognize that your job is to recognize the symptoms and label the symptoms, not label the condition. Behind well, it. that's the thing. A lot of diagnosing a psychiatric or psychological condition is first ruling out all the potential causes of it. Mm-hmm. Only until you've, you've ruled out that it's not all these other things. Can you say, okay, well maybe this is, you know what I mean? Like more of a psychiatric type of issue versus like, so especially as if you're a first responder, you know, I mean, really, like nurses, physicians who are not psychiatric, like, like your job is to to get them on the path of making sure it's not all those other things, right? Right. Like the worst thing you can do is like have someone come in, especially like in an emergency setting, and just chalk it up to a psychiatric disorder. Right. Especially because a lot of these disorders, because they're disruptive, people turn to medicine or turn to alcohol or turn to other things in order to like self medicate or self like 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 help themselves. A lot of times there is a lot of like comorbid medical conditions going on that need to be dealt right. with first. So. And I think recognizing that psychiatric conditions are based in chemicals and, and are very medical in that in that sense of the word like helps us out a little bit. So like yeah. your job is to look at the patient and be like, he's experiencing, you know, delusions or hallucinations. Okay, is that because of a chemical imbalance of his brain? Because of a a production issue? Almost like a, you can consider like an autoimmune, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like because that he just does that? Or is he having too much of those chemicals or too little of those chemicals because of some other outlier cause, right? right? So, and that's the job is to kind of investigate and figure that out and identify it. So just be careful not to ignore medical problems. Or as another caveat to this is like, don't ignore a psychiatric person who sees somebody in the corner and is having like those kind of delusions and hallucinations. And then they're also like, and I have crushing chest pain. Like, right. Yeah. yeah, they're not making up the person in the corner. They perceive that person in the corner. It's not based in reality, but their chest pain might be, their chest well, pain might be based. And in I reality, always say so. this too, like people, <clears throat> like your frequent flyers, like people call frequent, yeah. like people who come and seek medical care all the time. Like we had this one kid, I remember he was like in his twenties, who would come in, I mean, literally almost every day for chest pain, and he very much had like hypochondria, like. Mm-hmm. But like, the reality is, is that like one day he could roll in. Having a heart attack. And so you, you, you have to balance the, you know, those two things. So just like to your point, like just because you have a psychiatric condition doesn't mean you can't suffer from a heart attack, a stroke and all these other pieces. Right. So we really have to be cognizant of that. But exactly. Awesome. So, yeah. So summoning up uh, safety, you know, don't don't rule out medical conditions um, before you truly rule them out, <laughs> I suppose. Um, de-escalation, rapport building, reassurance and calmness is, is so important in this type of care. And then if you're a pre-hospital provider transporting them to an appropriate facility or if you're an in-hospital provider, making sure that they get to the either the correct floor or the correct doctor or maybe they need to be transported to a facility that can better handle their needs. So, um, so yeah, that is our little review on site conditions. More to come in this uh, 
area of medicine as we kind of grow and learn with you. And we'll probably start tackling some uh, medications soon, talking about, you know, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Only that one. We're going to do a whole episode just on <laughs> I that. mean, we could, though. Yeah, That's what's so... Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you guys so much for listening. Again, if you want to get a uh, CME CAPC credit, if you're a first responder, EMT, paramedic, that type of thing, uh, check us out at guardiancme.com. And if you have an in with the ANCC for nursing credits, let us know so we can start getting you the nurses out their credits as well. So awesome, guys. Thanks so much. Stay sweet. Hey, guys, thanks so much for taking a listen. Uh, If you are studying for the National Registry exam, we're here to help. We have a National Registry prep program uh, to help you pass that exam. Check us out at guardiantestprep.com. If you'd like continuing education credits uh, for listening to our podcast or watching this on YouTube, follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, No matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So, again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week.